welcome back to the Relentless Podcast, where we are always searching for ways to help you become more efficient in your physical, mental, and emotional well-being. And my guest today has a lot that I'm interested in learning and interested in figuring out how to better communicate with my clients, my listeners, um, with what I do as a body worker. I'm, I always say I'm working with the physical expressions of mental and emotional stressors. And one of the biggest stressors that we have as parents is when our children, especially our babies, are sick. So Dr. Sherry is going to help me with that and help me explain a lot of things that aren't even communicated to us as parents when we have our babies, um, things we can look for and figure out the root cause for some of the symptoms that we're treating. And before we get started in all the details of everything, can you just give everybody your background, your licensure, and all the extra credentials by your name so they can know what you do? Sure, sure. Um, first of all, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I was checking out some of your topics. You're um, uh, definitely touching upon a lot of really, really important subjects, you know, like the pelvic floors and all that, that, that um, I've been interested in years and, and the relationship with the mouth and the breathing and the airways and the neck and everything else that goes with it and the facial growth, you know. Um, so thank you. Thank you for creating that platform and creating the conversation. Um, I am, a, what I call, I, I haven't found it the, the right title yet, but I guess the closest it's an integrative, uh, I practice something called integrative dental medicine. Um, and it's basically, um, I'm a, um, by training, I'm a pediatric dentist and orthodontist graduated from Columbia University and UCLA, and I taught at UCLA for a while. Um, I'm also, I also have a degree, um, a bachelor degree in psychology and a master degree in um, um, spiritual psychology with the emphasis on consciousness, health, and healing. Um, <laughs> I've also trained extensively in homeopathy, anthroposophical medicine, which is a branch basically um, made by Rudolf Steiner, who created the Waldorf um, education system and the biodynamic farming. Um, I also have a, a, a lot of um, training in uh, food as nutrition. I became really, really interested in how nutrition supports the rest of the body and the healing aspects of it, and and sometimes, um, often now, causes so much of our ailment, and how the gut health system affects the growth and development of postures, airways, sleeping, thought process, and everything else in between. Um, and what else? Yeah, that's, that's, I think that kind of sums it up in like the big, uh, at least the uh, professional degree wise. And then right. I'm an avid le learner, I would say an enthusiast for, for learning new, new things and connecting with like-minded people so we can all learn together. Absolutely. So going back to the beginning of your like pre-licensed self, did you start into pediatric dentistry and orthodontics with the traditional mindset? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so how far along in your education or practice did you start to make that shift that a lot of us make into, this just isn't answering all the questions. What, and tell me a little bit about that transition. You know, uh, if uh, actually I had another interview and uh, somebody else asked me that. And when I was kind of thinking about it, I was always curious about putting the whole body together and some of the ways that I was taught. It didn't really give me a, a satisfaction about um, how does this beautiful, precious, incredibly resilient body works together and why does it fall apart, you know? Um, during, uh, we actually at Columbia, the first two years we'd go to school with the med students. So we get a medical education and I was just, I always wondered that we never had a nutrition class. You know, we never touched upon food, you know, as, um, as medicine and, um, uh, you know, and how does it affect not just your body, but your thoughts and your emotions. And then, um, and, 80 more than 80 percent of the chronic diseases that are out there 
Um, then I started my residency. And again, you know, the whole focus on teeth was not, I was always the residents like, well, what the face doesn't look good if you do this. And um, I, you know, how does the airway looks like? And so I, I always had those questions. I didn't really had a um, space to say it because on the most part, it's like, this is the way that you need to be taught. And um, and there wasn't a lot of spaciousness for explorations. Um, and I also had, um, you know, we, I remember one particular psychology course that we had at Columbia, which was about patient management. And then they would videotape us. And there was a psychologist who would actually sit with us, like, how was your communication and how was your posture and what did the, the, the patient do, you know, in regard to what you brought forward. And I noticed that there was absolutely any, you know, no interest on behalf of my classmates in like in this class. And I was really, really interested, you know, I, I wanted to see how you can connect with a patient from a deeper level uh, where you can inspire them rather than just giving them lectures, you know, where you can connect with them emotionally so they will be, they know that you're invested in them and they know that you're like their best advocate. And um, so I spend a lot of time with, with that professor, you know, psychology professor in, in all of those. And now my husband and I, we're actually bringing it forward in medical schools you know, um, where we started teaching, you know, your best prescription is your presence with your patient, you know, and that starts from there. Because if you're not present, and you're just listening to symptoms, you're missing a whole bunch of other things that it's, that it's going to not get you to where you want in terms of the, their, um, their health goals and their health journey. Um, so I was always interested, however, the first year I, I actually, uh, you know, after actually I left as a professor, because I also taught as a professor at UCLA, once I went and started journeying outside and as a practitioner, I left 17 jobs the first year. <laughs> so my husband was getting so worried. He said, uh, are you, are you, why are you quitting all these jobs after a day? It's like, it's not resonating. It's, you know, it's not where I feel passionate. I don't want to drill and fill. I don't want to, you know, slap on some braces. This is not what I want to do. So all these different classes, I forgot to tell you that I have also significant training in osteopathy. But all these classes that I took just out of curiosity started kind of coming together. And I decided um, actually a year after I left um, UCLA to put my own practice together. So I just rented some space, started with six patients, took a leap of faith, you know, and, uh, and then within a year I had 2,500 patients. <laughs> so with no advertising or anything. But just, you know, showing up and learning and collaborating with all these other practitioners that I feel that my work without it would not, would not be the work that I do. You know, I have to, I have to collaborate um, in order to, to get the miracles that we get in our, um, in our clinic. I have to have a craniosacral therapist. It's, it's a must. Like, it's in my contract, actually. You need to do, if you want to come on this journey with me, you have to get body work on a regular basis because what I do in here, it manifests in the rest of your body. And if the rest of your body is not aligned with it, I can create a lot of torsions and I can create a lot of asymmetry and fascia restrictions, you know. And that was another beautiful opening, like learning about fascia <laughs> where we just kind of like take everything, all the fascia away during anatomy class and then learning how important it is and what happens. It, it was phenomenal. That makes me think of a couple of things I've heard because I, in, in my research and study and constant learning, I hear just from many different avenues. And I heard, I think I was a psychologist say, um, the greatest mistake that medicine did when it was originated was separate the body as a machine from the person as a spirit, as a being. And the greatest mistake religion has done is separated the body and only focused on the spiritual. Yeah. It's, it's that 
they both are just too much in one camp. It's the marrying of, of the two, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, all of them really, into helping this thing be as well as it can be. And I think that's what you're saying. And then another really neat thing that I think about too, because I'm always, it's that yin and yang thing, that, that masculine, feminine. And that's, I think, one of the beautiful things that someone once told me when I first got into body work as one of my instructors, because I was um, probably one of the older ones in the class. And he said, mothers make the best body workers because yeah. they're intuitive, they're creative, they're, you know, they listen, they're there to help on whatever capacity they need, not just by rote memory of protocol. Right. So that logic and that creative aspect coming together in medicine is, is a wonderful thing that we do bring to the table. Um, so we're going to just jump right in and start talking because there's so much to cover. I'm sure in all of the interviews you've done, you still haven't, you know, there's many, many books that could be written on the mouth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm absolutely. sure the first question everyone's going to have is, well, can you, can you do cons consult with me? So we'll have your information, of course, in the show notes and they can get in touch with you. Because I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you are in uh, uh, north of Los Angeles, California. Not close at all, which is no. a beautiful thing about technology. It can make these things happen. And COVID in some ways. But I think that yes. COVID kind of brought the whole globe together and, you know, hopefully actually make us realize how we're one and, and the whole, um, everything that we share, all of our pains, all of our fears, all of our hopes everything is uh is a common denominator so frequency definitely a blessing of COVID and absolutely know. learning to adapt is a big part of, of growth and healing so we're going to jump right into the jaw so so many people I mean unless you're in our field of practice they would never never associate anything here with the rest of their body or with mental and emotional outcomes yeah so it with jaw alignment how in the world could that contribute to anxiety and behavioral issues you know uh it, it's i'll start with uh with a different um uh, approach actually what's interesting to me last night i was somebody had asked me to do a interview with this with this lady who had a significant following and she's very, she's like a health coach and all of that. And I was looking at her pictures um, and I noticed, and she is, she's, I think she's in her um, late forties, early fifties, but she's so fit. You can see every single muscle in her body. She has a lot of workout videos that she puts out. She has a lot of, um, you know, postpartum and hormones and there's so many things. And then I was looking at her and her children's jaw and mouth and postures and neck and, um, and, and all of her issues that she actually talked about in her Instagram. You know, I, uh, during pregnancy, I faced this, I faced that, and I faced that. And I could, there's so many of them, they come from the jaw. And yeah. I don't think she had any awareness of it whatsoever because the kids like significant grinding the teeth of the her children they look like little pearls you know so it it's a, it's definitely an area of the health that we're completely missing mm -hmm. and the way that people are looking at it is just um as an aesthetic you know teeth as an aesthetic or just the avoidance of pain you know so i see uh, you know, and I'm sure you're in the same page. We see so many of these um, very aesthetically oriented, you know, implants and like all these veneers and everything that it's made. And it's almost like the mouth is this side of the neck, you know, it's completely not aligned with the rest of the body. So what happens is the way our teeth actually come together and they touch in a specific way and in like almost like a jigsaw puzzle, they all have a specific proprioceptions that goes into your brain. And that proprioception is when like, for example, if you go to your dentist and they make you a crown and it's just a micro millimeter like high or short or has like an extra cusp that, it's, that wasn't there, 
your tongue keeps wanting to go there and your whole jaw keeps shifting in order to um, to take care of that or grind it off because you can't stand it. So we have not really paid as much attention into the whole aspects of the proprioceptions of the mouth and the brain and how it creates so much um, so much feedbacks for the brain. And if it is an overwhelming amount of feedback over a period of time, then they have the research actually shows that it that it presents as anxiety. So I see that with so many children, you know, that they come in and they they have a lot of anxiety and then that simultaneously they're in a crossbite, you know. So like the teeth, the upper jaw, for example, hasn't developed properly yet. Um, and so much of it could come from the neck, could come from the tongue tie and the lip tie. It comes from breathing issues. It comes from mouth, you know, open mouth breathing. Uh, come from the pelvic floor, you know, some of these come from the feet, you know, and the way that you pronate and vice versa. Some of, sometimes it goes from, you know, up to down and it affects everything downstream and sometimes it comes from down to up. So it's really important to, to look at the whole picture. It's kind of like the elephant that each person is like just touching the, you know, the blind man and the elephant and each person is touching one part and say, yeah, it looks like this, you know. No, it's when I learn about what you do and you learn about what I do and we collaborate, that's the time that we can see the entire elephant and we, we make sure that we can, we can um, address the cause of these things, not just a symptom. Mm -hmm. So I do see that um, a lot of people with even, you know, one or two teeth out of, you know, out of cross, uh, in a crossbite or in a way that they're not touching exactly right, they keep moving their jaw, you know, children, like a lot of times, like if they don't have a, what I call home, you know, somewhere that they can actually like, you know, like bite, they are like this and no bite, they are like that, you know, it's like they go all over the place and they don't even know what their bites are. And, um, and you see that like, yes, they do have a lot of anxiety. They do have a high cortisol release. They do have a hard time to go to sleep. They do have a, a difficult time napping. They do have a lot of, you know, hyperactivity at school. So, so, so many of these things, they kind of come together. And, um, and then it's also like creates airway issues, large tonsils, mouth breathing, and the whole sleep is interrupted because they keep waking up if they're mouth breather. So it, it just cascades of different things that it started with the lack of development and growth in the jaw. And then now I look back and say, okay, why did the jaw did not grow in the way that it was supposed to? Was it in utero? Was it in birth? Was it the cord wrapped around the neck? Was it um, the way that they were breastfeeding, more uni unilateral breastfeeding, or they didn't breastfeed at all? They, they were just bottle fed. And as you know, like birth patterns, breastfeeding patterns, crawling, uh, belly time, all of these things, it makes such a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And unfortunately, most parents are not really being taught about these things from their pediatricians. You know, we're concentrating on when to get your vaccines and, you know, when to like, okay, take your, your Motrin and Tylenol as soon as like there is any discomfort or any, any fevers and stuff. But we're not talking about how do we develop health in, in our babies yeah. and not necessarily avoidance of the disease because it's right. two different things. Right. That's one thing I try to teach my clients is the things like a jaw not finding its home or a kid that constantly does stuff with his mouth is a tell. Yeah. It's a tell. It's, it's giving you hints because the body doesn't do anything outside of the norm by accident. Yes. So if there's anything going on in the body, brilliant body. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 that's the only way it has to communicate with you. So when a parent, and it is unfortunate that our practitioners don't have this education or sight to be able to look broader than just the symptom. So that's exactly why I'm doing this, is so we can give our parents information so that they can start to see and ask more questions. So whether you have this list of symptoms that your child has or your teacher's telling you these things, 
okay, that's information. That, that's an expression of something. Now let me look at the jaw. Is there also a jaw problem? So now let me find out why the jaw problem is there. So getting our parents encouraged to start diving in more because you have to understand the paradigm that most medical practitioners are working in. They have so many clients they have to see every day per hour to make that machine run. They yeah. just don't have the time to look and ask. And by yeah. asking questions is the only way to figure these root causes out. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to just kind of move from one to the other and just try to hit, because all of these we could stay on for a long time. We're just going to try to hit. so much to cover. so much. We're going to try to hit on a few things. Um, so braces. I see kids getting braces earlier and earlier and earlier. It's almost like a rite of passage. Right. When you are 10, 11, 12, you have to get braces. Right. So breaking down braces. I think I saw one of the quotes I saw on your social media, integrative orthodontics examines dental structure and function within the context of the whole face and body rather than making straightening teeth the sole focus. Yep. And that's unfortunately, what would you say, like 90% of orthodontics? 99%. <laughs> right. So again, you know, teeth don't just end up somewhere on accident, there's actually a spot for them to be. Yeah. So if they're not in the right spot, why? Yeah. <laughs> so just give me a little bit of your opinion and what you see happening in the industry, at what age these children are getting braces, how it could be harmful, if they should get them and when. So that's my cranium that I love and I learn every day and I communicate with, I actually have a craniosacral therapist and an osteopath in my practice. I couldn't live without them. <laughs> so um, what, what was missing in my education, which I went to a really, really great school, is they taught me how to straighten D's and they looked at the upper and the lower jaw. And that's about it, right? So when, I, when I'm working in here, what, what is this like connected to? It's connected to 22 other bones in the whole head. And there, if you see them, they're kind of like a little puzzle, you know, like that the way that they piece together through the sutures and everything. And through craniosacral and, and osteopathic, um, you know, education, we learn that actually this whole cranium keeps opening and expanding and coming back. And there's a rhythm in here. It's not a solid, like doesn't move at all, you know, and and I know that's the difference between a regular um, traditional education versus what, at least what I do. Um, it's that to, to be able to um, actually find out what does these two, you know, jaw that it's connected together do with the rest of the cranium and how do they collaborate in order to bring forward um, a healthy development, which is symmetric. But at the same time, like in here, there is a spinal cord. So if there's tension in here and there's tension in the jaw, what happens is they start getting a lot of the muscles that it's attached over here all um, very contracted. And then the whole spinal cord and the neck and all the way down to the pelvic floor, it gets affected. So when I think about braces in a traditional way, uh, the way that I think about it, it's like a Band-Aid, you know, so because you're straightening the teeth without really understanding why the, the teeth came out that way and why is there crowding. And I don't quite, unless like you have a genetic defects, I don't really believe, oh yeah, he's genetically, you know, has the propensity and it just came out like that. Um, yes, there might be some airway issues that and the type of food that you're eating that is creating a lot of inflammation and that's going out actually generations you know that's the father is eating the same way the mother is eating the same way they you know like with the whole things of the mthfr you know there is all of these things that it does have the genetic component but i start looking at what caused the the teeth to collapse because we weren't meant to be. When I go and do my humanitarian trips in Guatemala, in areas of the Guatemala that there's 
nothing, you know, like they're, they don't even drive. There is like boats going everywhere. And uh, I, I, I yet to see even one child with collapsing arches. They have cavities because of the introductions of Coke and sugar and all kinds of crap, you know, from the outside, but they are, they're running around bare feet, you know, climbing the trees, breathing through their nose completely effortlessly. There's not much allergies there. So there is a completely different um, scenarios that we are looking at. And I, and I continuously ask why why there is there are parts of the world that I travel that that I have traveled to and I don't see any issues at all and there are parts of the world like US that I think 90% based on the last survey 90% of the kids they need um they need braces it's 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 an epidemic problem you know so uh, when I look at things I actually think true orthodontics starts even pre-birth so I start by guiding my parents how to eat and, you know, my parents to be first how to detox, yeah. you know, before even getting pregnant. Uh, then once you clean your body, then how during your pregnancy, how do you get body work and how do you bring forward? Like if you have a tilted uterus or you have the baby that is not moving or all of these things, or a baby that's like, you know, thumb sucking in utero, you know, like why are these things kind of happening and what does it need to create as soon as they come out of the womb? So um, I usually check my babies right away. Like some, I have some moms that they drive straight from the hospital to my office to check for tongue tie and lip tie and, you know, torticollis and anything else that is happening. And I highly, highly, if I can give people one encouragement and one advice is find an amazing craniosacral therapist that understands babies and has worked with babies a lot or an osteopath and get treated as soon as you leave the hospital, literally. Yes. Like, because every single birth, it has certain dynamics of it that it creates, you know, some neck issues, some asymmetry, some cranium issues, and, and you can prevent so much down the line by just getting body work right, right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. So that's so one I want, I want to clarify something for people listening. If There's still a lot of people that haven't heard of craniosacral therapy. That's true. So to, to just explain it simply, everyone knows what their cranium is, and everyone, I think, knows what their sacrum is. Just think your tailbone. I'm sure we've all fallen on that a couple of times. So it's like the top and the bottom. So craniosacral therapy. So there's a fluid component that houses and protects all of this. And it has a lot to do with your nervous system. And when they're just um, imagine, I think that one of the founding educators put a hat, was starting to research this and put a hat on and cinched it up just a little bit more and left it on all day. And by the end of the day, had a terrible headache. You can imagine a little bit of pressure here becomes uncomfortable very quickly. So craniosacral therapy is a, is a technique. It's palpation. There's work done. It's not like Reiki. A lot of people think it's Reiki. It's not Reiki at all. Is there energy involved? Absolutely, because there is energy in everything. But it is a hands-on therapy practice where we are trying to go around the, and for me, I include this in full body work. It's a philosophy. It's not just stuff around the head, face, and neck, but it is specifically for the head, face, and neck, finding areas after we become attuned and practiced in feeling how an, a healthy skull and jaw should feel, we get to a spot where it's just, it's just like, you know, if it should be like this, it's like this. And so we go to a spot and we gently, without force or hyper manipulation, we help guide that part of the body or the skull or wherever we are back to where it should be. And it's a very calm, calming work. It's, it's amazing as I've practiced it for years and years. And I don't, I don't work on babies, so she's very right. You make sure you find someone that works with babies. It's a whole different paradigm so I work with adults only and I refer out I have a practitioner here in Charlotte and I refer all the babies to and pretty much all she does is babies because you find your niche you know yeah. but you can just imagine and even 
even not talking about, you know, drastic things like the birth process or concussions or those things that do a lot of damage, just bad posture. If someone has the forward head posture, when your head rocks down like that, that is putting so much pressure on the brainstem and that in and of itself can cause anxiety and hypertension and and just a cascading of different effects the body will have. And that's one of the moves that I do is like the favorite of everyone. When I just put my fingers under the occipital ridge and just traction a little bit. A lot of times it's just getting that head out of that, you know, forward head posture, just picking it up and putting it where it should be. Bodies drop on the table and they, they just relax so fast because that tension, that pressure is taken away. So I wanted to kind of explain that to people that didn't know what it was. And I agree 1,000%. I think every newborn should be seen immediately by a qualified practitioner of craniosacral. And the mom. And the mom. Because you go through 100%. Because we're like this, you know, for however many hours. <laughs> a lot. Whether you had a natural birth and extended natural birth and... Um, you know, epidural pitocin, or you had a C-section, you're going through a lot and it needs to be all adjusted back, you know, even with fast birth, you know, my, my daughter's birth was so quick, you know, I mean, she, she literally jumped out. She was two and a half weeks late and, you know, I, I, it's still uh, okay, I, right? Yeah, my OBGYN kept like, you know, we got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. I'm like, just give me two more days. You know, I want her to come by herself. And then I got our acupuncturist. She came to our house for four and a half hours, did all her magic. An hour after she left, basically, I went into contraction and I barely made it to the to my OB, you know. So she just like literally like just, you know, came out with, and I had two births with nothing. But afterward my my osteopath actually told me it's like almost like my uterus like a rubber band it just because she she flew so fast like my my uterus went all the way up to my uh to my diaphragm you know yeah. so I, it's an exaggeration but it came so far up so she actually had to work all of that stuff in order to get everything back and those are some of the things that, you know, if I didn't know any, anything about this field, I would have had issues, you know, as I'm aging and as I'm going through, you know, uh, uh, older ages and everything with my pelvic floor and with my, um, with my urinary tract infection, mm -hmm. things like that. There's so many things that kind of comes forward that we don't even realize that was result after our birth. Right. And that's a good point to make is, you know, asymptomatic doesn't mean there's not a problem. So you have to respect and give um, accountability for what the body did, even if there's not any repercussions after. So anything the body does, especially childbirth, there's a lot going on that the brain is, is in control of, a lot of hormones being activated, a lot of, you know, just the nervous system is on fire at working hard for you. It is only in your best interest to care for that system after it's done that amazing thing. And if, if you begin a practice of self-care from delivery yeah. and continue that practice on, I can't tell you how much pain and misery you're, you'll save yourself and the child and you'll have a better um, newborn experience and you know baby in the home experience if your body is, is at a more homeostatic level and the baby's calm and it just makes everything so much better so a good proponent for self-care from the beginning for mom and baby yeah make it happen <laughs> um going now into ear infections respiratory issues go back into their earlier question i just want to finish it off because it's i think it's such an important question so when do you get braces i am not a huge proponent of braces unless you're doing certain things like rotating the tooth or you need to quickly bring teeth together because like otherwise another tooth will get stuck. I am a very, very big proponent of developing the whole cranium because once you start developing the cranium from very early on, you know, um, and, I, and, and not always appliances, although I even have infant appliances that I use for some of those very high palate cases where after the phrenectomy, still the tongue 
cannot reach the, the roof of the mouth and there is such narrowing, which also creates a lot of um, milking of the pituitary, lack of milking of the pituitary gland and a lot of different compressions in the head. But it, not necessarily all of that. It could be like with certain PT or OT or certain massages and certain opening things up. Um, that can be, but the earlier that you do all of this work, then the later on you don't necessarily have to do much. So when the 12-year-olds are all getting braces, your child's teeth are perfect because they were, you know, there's actually room for them to just kind of drop in because you did work on the nose breathing, you did work on the posture, you did work on the, you know, making sure that there's no tongue tie, lip ties. You did work on like basically getting the cranium, your point about the ear infections, we'll get to it. So um, majority of my patients are actually zero to seven. Um, and then from seven, you know, there are some that they come a little bit later, but it's definitely a lot more work. And I 100% think that by 12 years old, it's way too late to kind of create a, a lot of cranium. Your cranium always changes and always until the last minute of your, actually there was, there was an article that I read, you have your cranial rhythm even three days after your death. So there, there are people, they have even found that, that's like the cranial rhythm continues in a very, you know, um, even after your heart is not um, working, which is a whole different spiritual conversation. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but the earlier when there's growth and development and there's an extreme growth, growth and development and habits and all of that, you can you can completely shift and change things even as significant as um oh you know behavioral issues at school and reading issues at school and um oh my child is is you know having a really tough time like sitting down you know um when i look at all those primary reflexes retain primary reflexes and um, and the postures and and what's occurring in the body because it's so important and it gets missed so often and once it gets missed then there's all kinds of labels that it's put on the child mm -hmm. and then it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse um, I can't tell you how many kids they uh, in my practice they come in with the label of ADHD ADD you know, being on the spectrum, all of those things. And then once we start working with the cranium and the, you know, sacrum and the whole body and the nutrition and the, it's not just one thing. I mm -hmm. work with a lot of stuff, nutritions and, and airways and sleep and, uh, you know, making sure there's no tongue tie and the lip tie and the cranium has enough space. Like, 90% of these children, they go, you know, in a year, they don't exhibit any of those issues anymore. But it is, it's a lot of work, but it's incredible how much change they change and how much even their personality change, you know, where they're so much more outspoken, they are a lot more, um, they get along with other kids so much better, their, um, their temperaments and their, um, ability to be able to communicate their feelings it it changes significantly so it's not it's not just like oh yeah you go to a speech pathologist and they they do something and then you go to your craniosacral ther therapist and they say something else and then you go to your orthodontist and they say something else all of these people they should be talking to each other mm -hmm. and yeah. this is how we can create we can become an advocate for our patients and create a, a very very different mindset and a very different body um than than a body that is just kind of trying to compensate all the time yes and to put it into an understandable capacity for the parents listening like i'm sure again people have not heard this information yeah they're thinking how in the world could that affect everything so i want to put it this way parents if you ever had carpal tunnel, if you ever had thoracic outlet syndrome, if you ever had SI joint pain or um, uh, the nerve pain down your leg, you know what that nerve pain feels like. Well, there's a lot of cranial nerves, a lot of them, and they're coming out of the brain, down the neck, and affecting everything in the body. So if something happened in utero, in delivery, from, because of a, you know, 
nutrition deficiency, we'll talk about that later, whatever the precursor was, we're now in this position where we have these symptoms, it's created this environment of stress from birth. If that's not found, and certain nerves are constantly getting pressed on, and you know what that feels like if, you, if you've had any of those things I just said, that's coming from the brain of your child that has absolutely zero ability to communicate that to you. And if it has something to do with pressure in the vestibular system, the balance system, how we associate ourselves with gravity, if that nerve is just getting constantly cranked on, can you imagine why he would have trouble sitting still? So that's what you have to start thinking of again is not just the behavior we're seeing, why is that behavior there? And if your practitioner isn't willing to ask that question, then as a parent, you have the obligation to do the deep dive yourself if you have to, but hopefully you'll have practitioners in your area. And now with the technology that we have, we have access and there's, there is no excuse. So that's how you can start to understand how a child, because we, we think of babies as clean slate, yes. clean slate, nothing wrong with them. They're perfect. Well, they're a petri dish of you and your husband or you and your spouse. I mean, there's no telling. Generations before. And generations before. That's another topic that will just. Yes. <laughs> but it's not a clean slate. A baby's not a clean slate. They're full of potential. That's what makes us so excited about them. But they have so much impact in them already. And I didn't even have this in here, but have you seen the research on mothers that are under in a toxic relationship or under a lot of stress while they're pregnant? Those hormones being released constantly affect the baby. So have you seen that research? Um, I, uh, not a particular, I've seen a lot of research regard, regarding that actually. So yeah. I don't know so, if it's, yeah, a new thing, but I have seen, uh, we've come a across it often actually with my husband. He's a family practitioner, also integrative. Um, and we look at that and we, we talk about that a lot with some of our patients that we share and how their relationship, and that's, the, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about is one of the, the reasons that we started with the whole thing, um, conscious uncoupling and, or, you know, uncoupling with clarity was that, like my husband and I started, because we both have the psychology background, we started actually coaching some of these parents that they were going through divorce or having challenging relationships because we felt like, no matter how much we are, you know, putting into their health, because that dynamic, that psychosocial dynamic, it's still there. Nothing's changing. You know, the the food patterns are not changing. The weight is not coming off. the The child is not uh, necessarily releasing that anxiety. So there's a lot of modalities that we use, but none of it is working because there is a toxic relationship uh, between the parents. And that's why we started. So that's that's the thing that we do on the side as well. That we do a lot of coaching with with couples you know what whether they want to continue their relationship and work on their relationship or they want to um uncouple and kind of go their separate ways um that's the you know that's the work that we also have chosen to do just because it, we feel like it's so, such an important part of their health well that ties right back into what we're talking about because the vagus nerve comes out of the brain right here comes down the neck behind the clavicle and goes down the body and touches almost all of the organs. And that nerve is responsible for regulating that fight or flight. It's regulating and getting you into that rest and digest and how your toxic relationship or your toxic family, toxic home can affect your child is even though they are completely unaware this system is working because we are all given this system, if there's a snake in the corner of the room, my brain sees it and my body moves before I'm even aware. That's your fight or fight built in. When there is toxicity going on in the relationships and home, our body via all of our senses, our ears, our eyes, the tension in the room, hopefully and unfortunately if physical abuse is there, all of our senses are telling our body, get out, this is not safe. And it's a constant onslaught to the nervous system that will again create issues in the head face and neck yeah. so and that's a major nerve that we have to to work with and help people with um coming out of the, the head <laughs> so yeah 
obviously we can't get away from talking about the connection of all these things because it's yes. just how it's how it works out. But let's yes. jump back into the, the physical. So tongue ties. A lot of people, I, so this is interesting. So about a year ago, um, I came into contact with a local practitioner that does tongue tie release, more holistic minded. So he started sending me his clients to do my foster release and body work on. And after working with a couple, and they were adults, uh, adults, they it didn't get found. After working with a couple of those adults, now people that I have in my office, and I think it, I'm starting to see a pattern of a deep posterior tongue tie. When I'm doing their body work and I put my hands on their shoulders, I'm like, oh, you have a tongue tie. And they're like, and I don't say that, but after their session, we're talking about what we can look at for different things. I'm like, have you ever had your anything inspected to see if you have a tongue? Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you need to go have that looked at because I can feel it now. I can feel it up here. It's, it's crazy. And the last person I sent in on that recommendation had a severe posterior tongue tie. So let, let me tell you a story because it's so, such a, a interesting thing. So I, you know, I've been doing tongue tie, lip tie uh, revisions and, uh, you know, discoveries for like well, about 14 years. Um, and I took an osteopathic course with a couple of my favorite teachers, you know, and I was the only dentist in the room, I think, maybe like a couple of other ones. My, um, my you know, the teacher that, the osteopathic teacher that was teaching the course, he comes in and says, go around and pick out two people uh, that they have tongue ties. And the same thing, I can just put my, you know, hand on their head, swallow and I can feel the tongue tie because just the swallowing patterns and everything, especially in adults because they've compensated for so long. Uh, so I, I did that and then at the same time kind of looked at their, their mouth and everything and send them to the front. So the professor said, uh, the teacher said, okay, so so-and-so come and work on him. So he worked on him, the whole body. He's like, okay, does he feel good? Yes. Okay, get up swallow a couple of times, go back onto the bed again. When he, the, the, the other osteopath went back on the bed and then the, 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 one of the other students who was an osteopath as well felt the body. It's like, oh my God, it's as if I haven't done anything, you know, or so many of the things that I did, it just kind of returns. It's because he has a tongue tie. Because when you swallow, then like the, the engagements of all the, uh, the ways that you have compensated, mm -hmm. it returns. And then it almost like takes the whole cranial work out of the, the picture because basically the tongue is compensating with so many muscles. They did one research on babies that they looked at babies with posterior tongue tie. Tongue tie. I don't know if they, they identified posterior or anterior, which posterior means the back of your tongue is, is, uh, is uh, stuck so you can still stick your tongue out, you can still lift it up, but then the back of the tongue is not necessarily lifting up and it creates airway issues. So um, you have a, you know, you might have a more significant gag reflex. You might have a lot of, a lot more um, engagements of the neck. Uh, in that research, they actually showed um, babies that they they are breastfeeding with a tongue tie, they use 46 additional muscles than babies that they don't have a tongue tie. Oh. So, and and I'm 100% sure that this is even more exaggerated in adults because then they start compensating and compensating and everything else goes down the line. Um, so I, you know, the, the way that I have learned about tongue ties and lip ties is like, for example, one of my osteopaths, send me a patient and said, can you treat this adult patients and release her tongue tie? I'm like, no, I thank you very much. I don't work with adults. You know, I just love kids. And she's like, well, why don't you just do it as my, as a favor to me? Now I do some of my parents occasionally, but I still like the kids a lot more, but, um, and there's a lot of amazing adult practitioners that they do the tongue tie releases. So uh, anyway, so I, I uh, you know, I said yes, just as a favor to this osteopath. Um, she comes in after myofunctional therapy. You know, you have to do your myofunctional therapy before you release the tongue. So that's an important part as well. 
after she had done all of the stuff, we released the tongue. She goes home, uh, check back on her, see her a couple of times. Everything's looking great. The osteopath calls me after three months and said, it worked. I said, what worked? She's like, she got pregnant. And I said, how is that possible? What does that have to do with me? You know, I'm like working in this. This was about 10 years ago or so. And she's like, no, she had a tilted uterus that it kept, you know, she, she kept losing the baby with, you know, with um, uh, multiple pregnancy. And no matter how much I would try to kind of work on her pelvic floor and their uterus, it just would go back. After you release the tongue, she actually became pregnant and was able to get the, uh, keep the baby. And the baby's healthy and all that stuff now. And I actually see the baby. I'm not saying that every single person that did, that has a miscarriage, they have a tongue tie, but I'm saying that it was mind blowing for me to understand the work of the fascia and how it works from the tongue all the way down to your toes and how it's completely connected. Another mom that I released, like her, the, the different sizes, you know, she had like about an inch of difference between um, her, her legs and then she walked out and she always had a ledge on one on uh, inside one of her shoes. She walked out and she's like, my feet feel uncomfortable. And then she took the ledge out and she started walking. She's like, this is the first time, you know, in, I don't know, so many years that, you know, I can, I can actually walk without anything in my foot. So like the whole fascia, I guess, was restricted because of the, um, this was actually an upper lip. So because of the upper lip and everything changed and shifted in her body, which was, I don't know, this is, I, I got so blown away with all of these things as it came along in my practice. And I, and I just said yes to them and yes. say, if I can be of service, I'll definitely learn with you and grow with you. But it's completely shifted and changed my whole perspective about things. And again, to put it in perspective for people that are just thinking, what in the world can your tongue have to do with your uterus? Imagine, if you will, the last time you stubbed your pinky toe really bad on the corner of the couch, and I'm like, you may have broken it. After a couple of days, your opposite side hip was hurting, and then the opposite side shoulder started hurting because you were compensating and, and moving away from the pain that that toe was giving you. You were tilting your foot a different way to accommodate for that injury that made your body use itself in a completely foreign capacity and made other muscles and joints hurt. Same idea. It's just these things have been in the body with the ties if they're not found early from birth. So your body grew around these dysfunctions. So that's how your tongue could be connected to your uterus. And those are amazing stories. I'm so glad you told us about them. Um, with the tongue ties, so, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in a lot of networking groups, a lot of young moms are here, here in Charlotte, there's a big mom group, and it's, it's something that is talked about more, I'm, I'm glad, but um, how, it, for example, if their doctors aren't looking at it, what are some of the signs they can see or feel for, or maybe that the baby's doing that would indicate the baby has a tongue tie? Okay. So the, to begin with, if you have any issues with breastfeeding, um, that might be a sign, you know, because it's breastfeeding is supposed to come very, very naturally unless you had, you know, some kind of breast work en enhancement or some, some things that did that, um, you know, there are some issues in milk production. Most moms, they have, they are, they have plenty of milk for their babies. So there is something that is not working. And I don't believe like, oh, you have flat nipples, you have this kind of nipples, you have that kind of nipples, your nipple is too big, your nipple is too small. I haven't seen that. I, I don't say that this is, it doesn't exist, but I don't see that because I see once the tongue tie is released, doesn't matter what kind of a breast and, you know, nipple that the, the mom has, usually like the baby completely accommodates. So when they have any kind of breastfeeding um, issues from the beginning, because sometimes like the babies, they're super smart and they start compensating 
and drinking out, especially if the mom has a lot of milk, they start actually chomping down and drinking like a bottle out of the, you know, which uses different muscles. The bottle uses this muscle and this muscle, and the breastfeeding actually uses these muscles and then the tongue. So um, that's one thing. If they have like a blister on the lip, you know, on the upper lip, they have a blister. You see the face on for the upper lip ties, you actually see the face a little bit more like kind of calm down. Sometimes they're frowny. Sometimes this whole thing, it's kind of collapsed in. Sometimes they, you know, when they are even as a baby, when they smile, like they show a lot of gum. Uh, the lower jaw is really back. Um, they regurgitate a lot. They have a lot of acid reflux. They um, have constipation. And that's an important one because a lot of people, they don't understand that the mouth and the anus was one hole, grew two different directions. So the movement of the tongue is what actually promotes the whole peristalsis of the stomach, of the, of the intestinal region. And that's why you see most babies as they're breastfeeding, that's the time that they're pooping at the same time, you know. So yeah. these are some of the things that it's so important. So if like they, you know, the pediatrician said, well, it's five days, don't worry about it. So like that's normal. That's not normal. Babies, they need to poop like five, six times a day, mm -hmm. a day. So those kinds of things that you're, you would see. And then when you go inside the mouth, like watch your baby crying. If the tongue cups you know, it kind of like when they're crying, they, it actually cups or it doesn't race to the roof of the mouth. It barely like gets up. They have a tongue tie for sure. They, um, sometimes, you know, it's also coming from the, from the uh, C1, C2, you know, from like the, the neck um, being congested. So I would release that. And if it's the tongue still doesn't lift up, then I would definitely check with a practitioner that knows because unfortunately a lot of our practitioners, they miss especially posterior tongue ties. Um, they completely missed upper lip ties. There's not that many practitioners that they look at the, the, the lip tie and, and there's even less practitioners that they can feel because if you, when you lift up the upper you know, lip, and if you feel the cranium, you can actually feel the congestion and you can feel the contraction of the whole mid face and, and all the way down the, the posterior part of your head, like the back part of your head. And then with the tongue tie, when, when you actually go underneath it, it almost feels like a guitar string, you know? So it's not soft, you know, but it's like, it, like your your finger kind of um, hits something that it feels a little bit uh, too tight. You can also go around the vestibule inside the mouth. You have two um, uh, ties in here as well. You have two frenums in here, one on this side, one on this side, one in here, one in here, and then also one um, in the lower lip aspects of yours. So you have seven frenums in your mouth. These are your midline frenums, you know, so um, I never release them at the same time. That's a, that's a, I think I'm probably the only person that does that, but, but I don't release them at the same time because cranially and osteopathically, this is the midline of your body. And I feel like they, it, things, they don't get integrated in the right way. So I usually release one, open everything up. And then five days later, they come in and I release the second one. But these are some of the things that I have learned over the years with my osteopathic and craniosacral therapist um, that we work with and, and how things open up and, and makes a big difference. Uh, one of the things that you said that I think it's really important to mention, you were talking about this posture, you know, and I see more and more kids, on, especially with all the fires that we had, with airway issues that they're walking around like this with the head up, the shoulders forward. And then like, and you can also see like there's half of them, they're walking around one shoulder up, one shoulder down. The neck has like a lot of, you know, tensions in it. But when you look at those things, like this is when they do this in order to open up their airways. So if you see them like just kind of walking around with their head posture like that, it's because they're trying to open their airways then now the head actually feels like it weighs more than mm -hmm. when it's right on top of the body. Right. So then now they engage their shoulders in order to be forward. 
then you see like a little bit of a kyphosis, you know, in the in the whole shoulder area. And then in order to balance the whole thing up, they stick their butt out, you know, so then you see a little lower doses on the lower back, you know, um, like a curvature in the lower back. So all of these things, and then sometimes if they're not getting oxygenations, then their feet are actually kind of coming in or their knees are coming in. So when I'm looking and I'm looking at opening things up and I'm, you know, somebody comes with, you know, what do you think? Like I'm taking a pictures of all of these things because my goal for my patient is to make sure that all of these things are resolved by the time that I say, okay, here's your child back, you know, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I'm part of the contributions to that whole thing that you said, not just physical, but emotional, mental, and spiritual aspects of that child. Because a child that is going around the world with like the shoulders forward, protecting the heart, the way that people perceive them is very different. The psychological aspects of the compression, it creates a a different personality. And it's, uh, to me, it's my, my, my passion, at least, it comes from making sure that this precious child that I am blessed enough and privileged enough to be um, part of their healing journey is, is healthy in all ways, not just straight teeth, not just, you know, mouth, but in every single aspect of that, if I can be not just all by myself, but with all the people that I also work with. Absolutely. So can you give us a short, brief explanation of the MTHFR gene mutation and its link to thumb ties? What's an MTHFR? A short explanation? No, I can't. It's a little, it's a little complicated. But it's basically a mutation that we are seeing more and more unfortunately, in our population. Um, I think like one of the research that I was looking at, they were looking at 47 to 53% of Americans being MTHFR positive mutation, um, either one gene or both genes. And basically like your body doesn't do certain things efficiently. Like there is a gene that it's adding a carbon dioxide, a a carbon molecule, uh, you know, and a hydrogen molecule, and it's doing all kinds of different uh, reactions in the body. And that gene, it's a little bit lethargic. So it creates midline issues. It can create, you know, those moms that, for example, they run out of iron during pregnancy, hyperlaxity of the joints, um, you know, um, thyroid issues, every, anything that it's in the midline, tongue tie, lip tie, um, they don't methylate well. So like then they don't detox well. So the tox, the, if they take like, let's say, um, something, you know, that it's, that everybody else takes on a regular, like gluten, you know, or dairy or, um, certain vaccinations or things like that, they don't necessarily detox it well from their body. So there's a lot more mindfulness. There's, you can have a healthy, happy, beautiful life as long as you're aware of it and you supplement and take care of your body properly, you know, and all you need to do is basically supplement with the appropriate methylated B6, B12, you know, based on your condition and also like looking at like detoxing, being more mindful about food. You know, for example, a lot of children, I see they're, they're extremely sensitive to dyes and sugars, like their personality completely changes, you know. And then once we kind of look at it, like they don't detox the sugar or the fluoride or the, um, or the dyes efficiently from their body. So it stays in their body and it creates like a different kind of a reactions, you know, for their gut health and for their brain. So um, I believe nutrition is a really, really big part of the MTHFR um, health and also supplementations, but knowing, you know, because a lot of times, like I see moms, you know, I had a mom last week, new mom last week, and she's been looking at all kinds of different directions all her life. Like since she was 16, you know, she was a professional swimmer and then the chlorine would just kind of affect her so much. And then everything that she talked about, it was, you know, she came for her kid, but then we ended up talking about her a lot because she's so much part of that kid's health journey. 
but everything she talked about, I said, I can bet $100 that you're MTHFR positive. And she's like, what's that? You know, she went and she started, you know, she got tested and already sent me the test results, you know, and she is on both genes. She has the MTHFR. But like, rather than this crazy, you know, quest for this symptom and that symptom and that symptom and that symptom, now they all came under the same umbrella. And then now she has some, so much better understanding why as healthy as she is, like she has all of these little symptoms that they come up and, and nobody has really addressed it properly on it from the root cause of it. So I think it's a really, really important test. And I like the blood test more than the saliva test. So that's, um, that's in a very small. Yes, perfect. Well, and that's going back to the lip tie could just be a tell, tell sign of the MTHFR um, need yeah. to be checked. So again, sometimes you also have like a little vein, you know, like a dark vein right here. Sometimes they have dimples, you know, right by their, on the top of the buttocks, you know, like sometimes they have like little stork signs, you know, like, so there's like all in the midlines, you know, so when you see some of those things, like, and, you know, let's say your pediatrician is like, don't worry about it. It's asymptomatic. It is asymptomatic, but it all tells a story yes. that it actually might be very useful for you to find out earlier. So then you're eating properly, your nutrition, you know, your nutrition is proper and, and what you you put and the environment even that you put yourself like you you would be a lot more mindful mm -hmm. absolutely thank you so much for joining me today this this is just the tip of the iceberg I'm hoping yeah. that it will give our listeners so much more information to just start asking questions over because the yes. more questions that you ask the more information you have and then the more changes that you can make thank you so much for joining me on this episode i have your contact information below Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much.